And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. We are back together again. I want to start singing a country uh-huh. song. But there's got to be one probably like that. Together again. I don't, I don't know. I've been listening to a lot of country lately. I'm trying to get my playlist playlist ready for the road when we get on the road again. Um, yeah. But uh, that's not. I don't listen to country ever <laughs> at all. I've been I've been listening to country. It's kind of um I never really appreciated country music. My grandparents used to listen to it a lot and they'd say, Oh, come listen to this old song or whatever. And I just like, yeah, okay. But uh I don't know. Maybe it's just remembering my grandparents and uh putting together a little playlist for the road. It's not my only playlist. I've got some other playlists too, but uh for our trip when we go on vacation, I take a long trip. Long drive, so been putting it together, but we are back together again here on G220 Radio. This is episode number 558, 558, man, we we are halfway to a thousand over that, and uh, we yeah, just keep like on. 54.8, yeah, 55.8%. Yeah, we are just we're just continuing to keep it rolling, even when one of us is unable to be here. The other tries to do our best to keep it going, and uh, but we're back together here. Today. Are you sure it's not five forty eight? I believe it's five fifty eight. I, I kind of went off what you had. Uh, I had five forty seven last well then, week. Well, then maybe it's five forty eight. I'll have to fix that if that's if that's. All right, wrong. it just sounded really big from last week, and I'm like, I'm sure that's not right. We did tell the 10 other episodes. They're just private right now. So uh, we'll release I them. I have no idea about them. Yeah. What did you talk about during this? I don't, I don't know. No. Um, we'll, we'll figure that out. But either way, we are still, um, well, if we're 548, we're, we're still over the 500 mark. Yeah. And so we are still very close to, you know, uh, 1,000. <laughs> we're close to it. We're, we're pushing it down to. The downhill you know, side of it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get there one day um, in the next five years. But uh, we're definitely moving along. But this is a Proverbs series. We've been going through Proverbs. Mike has held it down the last two weeks, covering the, the end of Proverbs 18, as well as Proverbs 19, the first half. And today we're going to be looking at the second half of Proverbs 19. And um, just life is busy. Life has been busy mm-hmm. for me. I know it's been busy for you, Mike. Um, but when we think about Proverbs, it gives us instruction. It gives us wisdom. And it can help us in our daily lives. That's why we've said it before. Maybe you've heard it uh, before. It's not originating with us. But there are those who say, hey, read a proverb a day. I mean, there's 31 proverbs. And if you read one a day, it doesn't take very long. Like here we are in Proverbs chapters. 19. Yeah, 31 chapters. If if you read a, a chapter a day, then you're going to get some wisdom. It doesn't take very long to read 29 verses. Just, just saying that for Proverbs 19. It doesn't take long to read, you know, 30 verses or 35 verses. And so therefore, uh, if you read a chapter a day, you're taking in that that wisdom, that knowledge from the Word of God. And uh, we should we should be desiring to read God's Word. So if you're struggling, this is a good way to get yourself going. Take a chapter a day from Proverbs and read through it. Any other thoughts uh, on that, Mike, that you'd want to share as well? No, I think that's what Proverbs is. I guess, yes. Proverbs is geared for 
practical living. This is, in one sense, the moral law applied to our lives in different ways. And how do we act in God's world? How do we have wisdom in God's world? And unlike making us try to fumble to figure out what this wisdom is, God was gracious to us to give us an entire book of wisdom. Mm. Yeah. So let's get into this here. We're dealing with Proverbs chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 29. You can follow along with us in your translation of the Bible. Uh, we'll be reading from the ESV, but um, we have others to pull from as well when we're comparing or whatnot. I've got an NIV here in front of me, the ESV, the King James. I even have a New American Standard out over here. But do you have the, the New side. American Standard 2020? I, I don't, I don't, I'd have to look. I picked this up at a thrift store. No, no, no. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Probably not, but it's a life application study Bible. And so, I don't think they've released it in like actual book form. Yet. Well, then, then I don't have I've it. Never, I actually have never seen a NASB 2020 yeah. on a shelf. Not I don't that I look it. at Bibles a lot on a shelf. Yeah. Um, I do have. I did buy it for Lagos, so I have my own personal copy. And I like to pick them up when I'm out at these thrift stores because it's nice sometimes to compare, to look at the different translations. And we're going to bring it up a little bit later because Mike and I were talking about uh, one of the verses here that it seems like can be read. I mean, I read it a certain way. Mike reads it a certain way when we just read it in his plain reading. But there seems to be from one of the commentaries that I was using him reading it in a different way. And so based upon the translation, uh, you know, and, and we've seen that with other scriptures, you know, you could read certain passages from the King James and, and the way that it reads, and then you read it in an, uh, an, a new American standard or an ESV. And you're like, well, that's doesn't seem to be the same thing, but you know, obviously, um, translations can, uh, be fallible. Uh, but, uh, we do our best to try to get what the Word of God is saying uh, there. So let's get into Proverbs chapter 19. So verse 16 says, Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life, but he who despises his ways will die. And so when you're you're looking at this here, whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. And keeping the commandments, this is... Um, it can be in the natural sense or the physical sense of uh, the world's commands in the civil magistrates, the commands of your state, the commands of your city, uh, these kind of laws, but ultimately the commands of God. And so every command of his, whether again, whether it is moral or it is a positive law, uh, it's good. And we can't perfectly keep God's law, but we should desire to keep commands, to be obedient to the Lord. And so whoever keeps his command, keeps his life, talking about his soul here, ultimately, uh, again, if you break and violate your civil laws, you may uh, get the electric chair or the gas chamber. You know, um, uh, I don't know if they even still do that. I don't think they still do that these days. But you know what I'm talking about, right? So this could be the outcome if you're breaking these laws. You commit murder, th this is what's going to be your outcome, life for a life, right? But in that eternal sense, you're going to uh, lose your soul uh, to, to uh, condemnation uh, in, in the, like I said, eternal sense. 
Yeah. So I'm gonna just gonna go out there and say that verse 16 and verse 23 should be interpreted together. And that is the fear of the Lord and the one who keeps commandments are the same person and will help us to interpret better 17 through 22 in that. And so looking at that is the commandments. It's not just kind of any commandment. It is God's law. Whoever keeps the moral law keeps his life. And I mean, we can even say that is similarly signed, um, summarized in love God and love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, 37 and 39. And so the one who keeps the commandments is the one who fears God. And the connection there is that one keeps its life and the other one in the fear of God leads to life. So you see this life giving when you obey God's commands and they're in the proper position in your life, you keep your life. And there is this kind of flourishing with it, but it's the one who despises the commandments who dies. Again, kind of seeing through that um, kind of death. When you oppose God's law, you get judgment. Mm -hmm. You get strife. You don't have peace. And you will die. And so there is that, that juxtaposition between obeying God and God's law leads in God's world leads to life. And when you don't obey God's law, it leads to death. And then, I mean, you can push this more is like, well, have I always kept God's law? I mean, look at this. Proverbs 19, 16, jump right into the gospel. If keeping the law saves your life, but if you don't keep the law, now you need someone to repay your sins mm. to do it and to be able to pay your punishment because you're the one who despises, who kind of despises his ways and, and will die. So when we fear God, which leads to wisdom, the fear of God is reading and understanding what God requires of us. What is the duty of man? What is he to believe about God? When we think about the fear of a God and the application that flows out from it, it brings about life. And what we'll see in 17 through 22 is how we get from keeping the commands and what it means to be or kind of how we get there. And on, especially from a father to a son or parents to children, how children should react and working through, again, some of the different things we've talked about, even from last week about generosity to the poor and, um, kind of other applications of kind of in this one sense, honoring your mother and your father and how that plays out. Yeah. And one of the things I think is important for us to, to mention, because I think we've, we've kind of grown up 
I know I have, Mike, you have. Uh, in in our in our growing up, we've had this dispensational mindset that kind of is put out there. And and this isn't my knock on dispensationalism, sort of, but it's it's more of this. Um, we're under grace. We're under grace. We're under grace. No law. So there's this idea sometimes in the minds of Christians that when we talk about commandments, we think, oh, no, those don't apply to us. We don't need to keep commands. But the scripture is clear, and the scripture tells us whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. And as Mike said, we know that we can't keep God's commands. Therefore, we need a Savior who is going to come and apply his righteousness to us who are unrighteous, who's going to save sinners, and this is what he does through the cross, comes and dies and is buried and rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death and saving his people from their sins. And then the spirit of God that is indwelling us gives us the ability to be faithful to the commands of God. Now we will struggle because we still have the flesh that remains, but we should still desire to keep the commands of God. Jesus says, if you love me, obey me keep the commandments. And so we can't, we can't neglect that. We can't throw it off to the side and say, well, we're under grace. So those laws don't, 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 don't matter. That's why I mentioned in the beginning, not, I think not just the, the, the moral law, but the positive law that we see from the old Testament, where we can take those things and apply them. They're beneficial to us in, in, uh, um, in, in those who are in Christ. Right. All right, verse 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Mike? Yeah, so on the spur of keeping the commandments, you get this Proverbs, this proverb about generosity to the poor. And this really, if we're an Old Testament reader, this shouldn't be shocking because the Old Testament law, the positive law, that is the law that God added to the covenant. It's not a moral, not part of the moral law, though it extends from it, but that part of law that's given with the covenant is to that the farmers weren't to plow, take all their crop to the edge of the field. They're supposed to leave some for the poor. God gave provision for the poor in the Old Testament laws, the Old Testament um, civil laws to be specific. And so when we think about whoever is generous to the poor is one who understands not only their place in the law that they're required to do this, but that they are showing kindness and in one sense here i mean the language lends to the lord it says in giving to the poor your material goods whether it's your wealth or food that you've bought whatever you give generously to the poor for building them up you give that in one sense you're lending that to the lord and that he will repay you for what you've done. 
Now, this may sound familiar if you know the New Testament, too. When we're told in Matthew 6, when you do your acts of righteousness, don't proclaim it. And the first example is when you give to the poor. And that you give to the poor in secret, and the Lord will reward you for your good. So why this is important in kind of the structure is that in verse 17 gives us a framework in which how we view money to be generous, to help the poor. And that will then kind of replay as kind of a, a basis in which all of 18 through 21 and 22 um, play into about men of great wealth, what it means to have plans and to do all these things in reflecting with that generosity matters. God loves a cheerful giver, not just to him in the body, but one who understands not only God's blessings to them, but is willing to use that blessing to bless others in a way that's generous, that the rich, as we've seen elsewhere, don't care about when they all they seek after is the riches of the world. Yeah. And then that second part there where it says, and he will repay him for his deeds. Ultimately, we know that we receive reward. We're storing up our treasures in heaven. But there also is that. And again, we, we've mentioned it before, Mike. We've talked about it. You've brought it up where sometimes we're afraid to think of prosperity that God may bless us physically here for that, for your generosity, for your, your loving kindness towards someone in need and serving them in that way. Um, we're, we're, we're te we tend to kind of shy away from it because we think of the prosperity preachers and how much they abuse it. But God does bless his children. I'm trying to think, who who's this? There was this a missionary, I, I think it was something with uh, orphans, where he would keep continuing to get more and more money, but he would constantly give that away. And God kept blessing him with more and he would have this orphanage. George Mueller. It, it may have been George Mueller. I can't think off the top of my I, yeah, I think it was because he kept, but he was always constantly giving. Mm -hmm. And so God's blessing him with that financial gain, not for his own benefit, so that he can go out and live lavishly, but so that he can keep serving and taking care of others and helping others. And God's blessing him in that. Yeah, there is a strange in American recent American religious thought about poor being more pious. And there's some truth, I think, to it when we think about how like, it's impossible for the rich to inherit heaven. But when we think about that, we also must consider that the poor, it's also for the poor, impossible for the poor to inherit heaven. Because it's not dependent on whether you're rich or poor. It's dependent right. on the one who gives the grace to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think there is this resistance to being rich. That being rich is kind of synonymous with sinfulness. That you're greedy. And that's 
rightly can be. Let's call sin what sin is. Mm -hmm. Some people get rich because they're greedy. Right. And I think there is even just that, just with like the prosperity gospel and pushing against that, um, this just kind of this theology that poor is holier. And you have just enough. And I think you see this in churches really well when you talk about the pastor's salary. Mm. Do you pay your pastor enough to do what he needs to do so that he is comfortable in his living that he doesn't have to go out? That's like a smaller church like mine. We can't comfortably pay our pastor enough to not have other jobs. So he also teaches. Um, but there is that, but it, is it wrong to even show more generously to a pastor who does in one sense is on call 24 seven, unless arrangements are made where he's not. So he can spend his family, but that's not the normative. The normative is the pastor is on call all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this idea of wealth and it's it, like it's sinfulness. It can be, but Abraham was wealthy. Yeah, and Abraham was extremely wealthy. You think of Barnabas in Acts. He sells an entire field. Like not everyone owned fields, but he sold his field so he give to the poor generously. And and Ananias and Sapphira. They sell their field, so they show wealth. Now, they lie about how much they sold, but even in the context of the verse, Peter tells them, couldn't you have kept the money back? Mm -hmm. It's your money. You don't have to lie about, oh, we're giving it all. So there's a prideful action in their life about it. But it's not the fact that they were rich. The fact that they lied about how much they were giving in their own pride. Yes, we're giving it all when they kept back, which they were fully allowed to do. And so I do think, as Americans, we need to rethink about how we view money and realize that sometimes God blesses abundantly Mm -hmm. for doing faithful work, for obeying, in one sense, the Proverbs, and being smart in how they use their money, using it for the glory of God, and watching God abundantly grow it. And we should praise God for that. Yeah. Because they help fund missions. Yeah. They're able to do more. Mm -hmm. All right. Verse 18 says, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now this verse here, it it, it strikes me um, because like we're dealing with a, a child who wants to be kind of rebellious right now. But when you when you think about this, it says, "Discipline your son, for there is hope." So, while you still have a young one, whether they're you know infant to toddler to 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 in their youth, you still have time to discipline them. There is hope. So, discipline them. Discipline your son. Discipline your children, um, because the discipline is supposed to be. A, a guide or a barrier to keep them or to um, to to lead them to not get into this rebellious kind of lifestyle that ultimately when they they go out on their own 
they're not then um, thrown in jail or lose their life because they're just living, uh, you know, um, full of debauchery. So you you discipline them for this, but also your discipline should be, it should be there to fit the punishment as well as to um, out of love, not out of anger. Like you don't want to discipline your child out of anger, as it says here for the, the second part of this, do not set your heart on putting him to death. So you think of those who abuse their children. Their children get a little out of line or they get out of line and they abuse them. They they beat them so badly that almost putting them to death. So w- this is what it, it's it's given us this this warning here. Discipline them while there's hope. There's there's hope for them, uh, you know, and correcting them with the rod if need be, but not to this putting your heart on wanting to put them to death for their sins, even though the scripture does speak about uh, stoning an unruly child, but we're not doing that, right? So. Yeah, I think to, it's always good to remember some of the background verses in which the Lord hopefully brings us to mind as we think about these things. And what is the duty of the Father? And we see here, Deuteronomy 6, Verse starting in verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you to obey shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you should talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You should bind them as a sign on your hand and on the the frontlets between your eyes. And you should write them on the doorposts in your house and on your gates. And you you think about what the charge is. And especially coming after in chapter 5 is the retelling of the Ten Commandments to a new generation of Israelites who were not on Mount Sinai, who did not hear the Ten Commandments from the voice of the Lord. And to think about the duty of teaching children, to teach them to obey God's law, to raise them up in the fear and admiration of the Lord. Again, you think about in Ephesians 6, Paul drawing on similar thoughts. So the famous verse, we've taught our kids this. It's a good verse. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So Paul's drawing on the fifth commandment. That It's the first one with a promise. All the shall nots and honor the Sabbath that come before it didn't have promises. But honor your mother and father did that you may live long in the land. Verse three, Paul continues, that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. So that's the promise. And then verse four, right after telling children to obey your parents in the Lord. So the Lord gives you godly commands to obey. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think what we can say here, looking at Paul, is another way of saying this. And kind of training up your children and disciplining them in the Lord 
it brings about hope because they see their sin, they receive the punishment for their sin, and then there's restoration. And then acknowledging that what this happens is what God did. We deserve God's punishment. But instead of disciplining us, he gave us, gave us grace and mercy, took our sins that we may be saved and brought back into a right relationship. So there's restoration. And that, and that even God disciplines those whom he loves, that they may grow in holiness and restore, restore this restoration. And so discipline now becomes a pattern in which the gospel can be presented to children. But if you don't set your heart, and so the idea of setting your heart to put them to death is to neglect raising them up, to neglect teaching them the things of God that they may know who he is. I think we can say, I would say, that when parents decided not to raise their kids Christianly in their homes, we see the disaster that happens when they've forsaken the faith in college. They were long gone, as Ken Ham has written a book about, but that we, that we can visibly see they're forsaking the faith. It is godly parenting seeks to raise the children in faith, that they may have hope, that they may have eternal life, because not doing that allows their sin, allows them to not see the wrong as sin and not seeing the sin against God and bringing them to eternal death. Amen. Amen. All right, so verse 19 says... A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Did I read that right? Yep. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. <clears throat> I'm thinking about verse 18 and the idea of forsaking the discipline of children, we move into what that becomes. A man of great wrath, one who has great anger. And that will cause him to receive the consequences of his sin. He will pay the penalty for having this great wrath, for not being able to control his anger. And so the warning is here about if you deliver him, if you try to save him, he's not going to change. You're going to have to do it again. I think this then plays in a part in being generous to the poor, since the poor tend to be more mink, though that's not always true. But I do think it causes us to think about helping people, delivering people who show no remorse or change to do it. If a man does not change his anger, which he can't apart from a work of the spirit, he will just keep on 
doing again. He will keep paying on these sins. And if you treat, you're going to keep trying to deliver him from his sin. Um, so that's kind of, again, the importance of raising our kids to understand what sin is and understanding that when you sin, there is consequences. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree completely with everything you just said there. Cause like when you think about this, this thought, this proverb, the wisdom that's here, um, it's just that continual, like you said, they're, they're constantly going back to this. This is why you want to correct your children at a young age. You want to start disciplining them and raising them in the fear and admonition at a young age. We, we've talked about it, Mike. We, we already went to verse 23 as soon as we started with the, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests and is satisfied. And so... If a child is from a young age being raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and we are seeking to instill that in them, then we are, we are doing our best. Obviously, we know that it is God who saves. We can't make our children Christians. We can't make them believers, but we are raising them in such a way to fear God. There, this is the wisdom, you know? And so... If you don't do these things, it can be harder, but it's not impossible because with God, all things are possible. You know, you just may have a stronger will that you're trying to break, but ultimately knowing it is God who can break that will of that child who is stubborn and may seem to be on this rebellious path. But so you keep praying for him. You keep seeking to discipline them while you have the opportunity to do so and uh, pray that the Lord would change them. Because again, like it says, wrath if they stay in this situation, they're going to pay the penalty. They're just going to continue to do the same thing over and over again, as Mike was saying. All right, so verse 20, uh, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom. Wait a minute. Then you may gain wisdom in the future. I saw a comment popped up and it threw me off while I was reading. So <laughs> listen to advice and accept it. No, it's not your fault. I get distracted. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. And this is the title of the program. And this is what we're trying to get you to understand as we're working through Proverbs, this book of wisdom. Get wisdom. Listen to advice. Seek the instruction. Seek out the wisdom of God through his word. Yeah, if verses 18 and 19 were kind of geared towards the father to parents and the importance of raising their children in their fear and admiration of the Lord. Verses 20 and 21 change that, and now we go to the child. So he's addressing the son. Listen to advice and accept instruction. Now, this is just not any instruction. Verse 16 and 23 tells us what type of instruction. It's godly instruction mm -hmm. to seek the, the wisdom of your parents, godly wisdom from your parents. We in the new covenant here have the opportunity to meet together. So it's understanding when we come together as a church that there is wisdom being given to us by our Sunday school teachers or the preacher on Sunday. And even the conversations that 
may happen outside. The verse um, 20 commends the child to listen and accept biblical instructions, not to seek the itchy ears of false teaching, but to fall upon the teaching of the Lord. Why? That you may gain wisdom in the future. And this becomes more important in verse 21 when you start making plans. Mm -hmm. So the sooner you understand the importance of wisdom, you understand the importance of the godly wisdom your parents can provide and listen to you, the better you'll be in the future, that you may gain wisdom in the future. There is kind of a promise. You listen to godly instruction from your parents today. In the future, you will have wisdom. And as the other Proverbs say, you keep growing that wisdom. Mm-hmm. There is wisdom to be getting all around. And chiefly, thinking about just James, that we have the source of all wisdom in the Father who gives it abundantly when we ask. And so just knowing the blessing of godly parents or even a spiritual parent, if you're if your physical, your actual biological parents are not Christians and you have to find someone else to help you and to nourish you. Again, I think this advice is there. You seek out godly wisdom because it will help you in gaining more wisdom in the future. It's reciprocal in that way. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things I kind of want to throw out there too, to encourage you is, um, I want to encourage you this because as I was talking a little before this is don't think it's too late. Like if, if you've, you've got children that are eight, nine, 10, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, and you, you haven't been a Christian your whole life, or you haven't had others speaking this uh, knowledge or wisdom into your life. Um, Maybe you've been in a church. I know from my own experience, I've been in churches where I did not have other elders or uh, people that were coming alongside to try to disciple you, to help you know how to be a godly father or a godly husband. And so don't think, though, that it's too late, that you're too far. We seek wisdom ultimately from the Word of God. And as Mike said, James tells us we can go directly to God Himself and ask for wisdom and ask God to give you the wisdom to seek out individuals within your congregation uh, or around you that you may know that could could be that godly influence to help you think some of these things through as you're dealing with your children or in your marriage. All right, uh, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Man has all kinds of ideas and 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 plans that they want to do, but it is the Lord who directs their steps. It is the Lord's purposes that will stand. Men can have all kinds of ideas, and sometimes those ideas will come to fruition, and sometimes they won't. But the Lord's purposes... They will stand. They will come to uh, its its fruition because everything that the Lord uh, plans, 
and brings forth will happen and we can trust in it. Yes. Question 14, Baptist catechism, because why not? What are the works? What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all of their actions. We can plan, we can think, we can have wisdom to make good plans, plans to honor God with what we want to do. But in the end, it is God's preserving work, his providence that moves on. No one can resist the will of the Lord. And to think about what that means, this doesn't mean that we don't plan. There right. is wisdom in planning. Right. But what this does mean, and probably, I mean, James, let's just camp there as the proverbial New Testament book talks about it, about don't go say, we're going to go to such and such city and trade and make all this money. But to have this idea, if the Lord wills, we are ones that rightly so plan to charter out. I think there's wisdom in the cultural proverbs. If, um, I just skipped my mind as I was saying it, but the end part is, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. There it is. I think yeah. there is aspect and truth in that. Let's, let's understand that, but we understand our planning is only as the Lord allows and his most holy will, his gracious will, his good will. So if it, our plans don't work out, we can rest that what happened, God's purpose, is for our good and for his glory. And to understand that it takes wisdom to plan. And we have lots of plans of what we want to do and where we see ourselves in the next 5, 10, 15 years, whatever that may be. But all of that is contingent on God's will, how God works out history towards his ultimate goal, goal of saving a people for his son. You know, as Mike, as you was talking there, it reminded me of something I was listening to today, a book by Paul David Tripp called The Age of Opportunity. Uh, I was listening to it on Audible. Uh, Audible is a great opportunity for you to uh, listen to some uh, audiobooks. But I was listening to it, and he brought up the the planning that people do for vacation. We're getting ready to go on vacation, and we, we've made plans. We're planning out the days of where we're going to go, what we're going to do, how we're going to spend money while we're, we're on vacation, how we're not going to spend money while we're on vacation. And so we're making those plans, and he brought up, the idea, because it's not wrong, like you said, it, it's it's important to make plans. Just know that the Lord's plans will stand, and sometimes the plans we make, God redirects them or changes them, changes mm -hmm. those steps. And so, but he was bringing this in and saying, you know, you plan to go on vacation, you plan what you're going to do each day. But speaking a lot about children here, um, 
planning to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, planning to invest into your family, your 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 spouse, and and uh, just he was talking about in in the sense of children, but it just brings about so much more that we can plan good things, like you were saying, Mike. We can make plans to do godly things, um, and and pray that the Lord would again bring those things to fruition, should it be His will. All right, so uh, let's see, verse 22 here. What is what is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. Mike? Yeah, so we're kind of returning back. We saw in verse 17 about being gracious to the poor and how we are to act to them. And now we come back to it as the child is to think about in the wisdom, the desire in a man is steadfast love. This is the Hebrew word for, um, is hesed. It's the word very commonly used to talk about a covenantal love, a steadfast love as the ESV translates it. So that men desire steadfast love. And a poor person is better than a liar. So someone who cannot help you and to show steadfast love is better than one who lies, who sins. And it calls to, to think about the quality of the person. You give generously to the poor but your friends, the people you want to be around, are looking for steadfastness. And it's better to have someone who is poor and a steadfast friend who shows steadfast love than to be with people who maybe will lie. And I think if we look at verse 17 in context, lies in that they abuse your generosity. They don't show the steadfast love for if you didn't have that money, they will then forsake you as we've read um, earlier, I think a couple episodes ago um, here in Proverbs. All right. Verse 23, we, we've we talked about already um, throughout the program. So we'll move on to verse 24. Uh, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. And so when you think about this, this is someone that's very slothful. Uh, Gil talks about this and stating that he says the words of the, the bosom, because in the KJV it says a slothful man hideth his hands in his bosom, says this wor word here sometimes can be used for potter platter. That's why I think the ESV sp speaks of it as a dish. Um, and it says, and then the sense is that he puts his hands under the pot over a fire to warm them, or um, rather he he would rather starve and he'd put his hands in the dish of the food, but rather not even pick it up to feed himself. And so yeah. that's this very slothful laziness, laziness. And so that's what we're we're getting here. That he he's so lazy, so slothful that he'll put his hands in the food, but he won't even pick it up and put it in his mouth. Yeah, I mean. Again, just the value of work here, of being elevated, that someone is so lazy, they have a dish, 
they have their hand in a dish, but they're so lazy to take it out of the hand, take what's in there, the food in the dish to feed them. And obviously this is probably, this is definitely, I, I mean, I would say he's exaggerating here to prove the point that laziness causes harm. Laziness causes you to starve, not to work. I think, I mean, the very real Paul, if you do not work, you should not eat. That work is good. And to think about when work is created, work is created before the fall. And we continue through it. So God desires for us to work. God has been working from the beginning, upholding this entire universe. And he calls us to do the same, to work like he did, and then set us an example in creation of how we are to work. And to think about, again, just the slothfulness of people, so lazy they can't feed themselves. And it calls us to think about what that means and the impact that will have in order to build up us the desire to be ones who are willing to work. Yeah. And Gil continues to go on and he, he quotes um, Augustusius, who's this French theologian, uh, Protestant theologian. And he says that Gustusius, Gustusius, guess what hour are you saying? Thinks it may have respect to such a slothful man who is careless and negligent to their souls, who though they have the Holy Scriptures in their hands, like a vessel full of wholesome food for the soul, yet they will not make use of it, or they will not make use of it the least might out of them, that they may receive eternal life. So he's taking it even in this spiritual sense of looking at it and saying, you have the Word of God right here, but you won't even. You won't even consider it. You won't even seek that which can can you can find where you can have eternal life that's in Christ. So anything else, Mike, you'd want to add with that, or we can move on to 25. Move on. All right, verse 25 here says, Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. Go around, hit scoffers. That's what this proverb says. Yeah. No, it's not. Um, well, I think when you speak against a scoffer, when you speak uh -huh. out that he may not receive that rebuke, he may continue <laughs> to scoff, but others around. So strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. So those around, for the benefit of those who are, are, are able to witness this, to see what's going on, right? Maybe not the scoffer being changed. And I've seen this with um, evangelism. We talked about evangelism a few weeks back. Um, and when you're engaging someone who seems to be kind of pushing, like pushing back, pushing back, but uh -huh. there's somebody over here who's listening, who's taking stuff in. And then I've watched as conversations switch, they transition from this person who was initially pushing to this individual who was just standing by listening. And those conversations are amazing. You know, and then just this person wants to learn. They're asking you questions, you know, because you're, I also think of Proverbs where it says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. 
you know, so you're, you're rebuking the scoffer and others looking in, see that. And then they're in the, the providence of God. Maybe you're gaining this conversation that leads uh, to, to more um, interaction there. Yeah, I think, and part of it too, is to look at, you know, there's an action with the scoffer um, who Charles Bridges um, talks about it. I think it says uh, mocker in the King James. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let me see. Can't find it. Scorner. So you have like this idea of someone who is actively rebelling against God and to, to strike, or I think would probably, we might understand it more as discipline, a scoffer, though the language is definitely an idea of hitting of, of striking that striking the scoffer kind of in a punishment way shows the simple who need to learn prudence, as we've already mentioned throughout other shows, it shows the simple what the punishment of sin is. And so then they learn prudence. They learn fear. Again, you can think of Ananias and Sapphira and God's judgment on them. Well, what's the response of the people after God's judgment on them? They feared the Lord. There was there was this change when these, in this sense, they're scoffers. They're scoffing um, God, trying to boast themselves. They've pinned themselves against God, and the church is now, the church now has a deeper fear of what happened of God, and I think there is this idea of striking the powerful one and those underneath it then see the punishment coming out. Not all, but I think you see it that the simple is like, Oh yeah, we probably shouldn't do that anymore. That brings judgment mm -hmm. and reproving a man has is nicer just in tone. They've done something wrong and you've reproved them. You've brought them to understanding and if you approve a man of understanding, well, he gains more understanding, he gains more knowledge. And so I think you, we see kind of maybe a more harsh punishment leads the simple to learn prudence, to learn wisdom, but a, a quieter response, a reproof to a man of understanding will also gain the same, will, will grow in the knowledge. All right, and verse 26 says, He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. So you have this, this child who does violence to his father, a father who is giving him instruction or, or loving him and taking care of, raising him, and this mother who is giving this affection, and he's just violent towards his father. He's chasing away his mother, doesn't want those affections, doesn't want the corrections and the discipline. And um, this is a son who then brings shame and reproach uh, to his family, you know? 
yeah, I mean, you you see in the language the idea of pushing away those which should be the closest bond that he has. His family from when he could not take care of himself did take care of himself. Mm-hmm. And to to push them away um, is a shameful thing. And I, you know, you kind of see in the old covenant when you, you mentioned earlier about stoning a rebellious child that there is comes to a point in rebellion that in one sense he now the shame and reproach makes the family unfit to worship God and he must be removed. Especially in light of thinking about the fourth commandment and what it means in the fourth commandment about how we treat not only our parents who are our superiors, but our siblings who are equals. And then when we become parents, the inferiors and the, and that language used about understanding our position within society and within other people in society. And this is just a rejection of God's gracious will on the child's life and seeking to go after his own way in rebellion to God's law. Yeah. All right. So verse 27, this is one me and Mike were kind of talking about a little bit before the show, because let me read it for you. Um, verse 27 in the ESV says, cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. In the King James, it says, cease, my son, to hear the instruction to err from the words of knowledge. In the NIV, it says, uh, find it here real quick. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. So as I read this, as I read it, I come up with this understanding, right? I see this understanding of cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray away from the words of knowledge. Just plain reading that, I see it as if you stop taking advice, if you stop receiving the the wisdom and, and, and knowledge, the instruction, you're going to stray from the truth. You're going to stray from the wisdom of God. So I take it as a plain reading, but I was a bit confused because in reading Gill's commentary, and maybe I'm just reading it wrong, but it seems like he's saying the cease to hear the instruction is cease to hear the false teacher, cease to hear the ungodly. And again, maybe I'm reading it wrong. This is what he says. He says, in in the cease to cease my son to hear the instruction, he says, the counsel of bad men or the doctrine of false teachers is what he's saying this is referring to. He says, the words are spoken either by Solomon to his son or by the by wisdom, that is, Christ, to every one of his children to beware of false prophets and take heed what they hear. And so that's where it was kind of like, for me, I'm kind of like, maybe I guess you could read that both ways. I don't know. I still kind of lean more towards it saying that you if you stop listening to the instruction, you're going to flee away from the truth. 
So as we were talking about, sure, I do think this is, that can be an application of it, but kind of just thinking through and looking at um, some of the words here. Um, so um, let me see a text comparison here. <clears throat> as you were mentioning, I do think there is um, here, and this is the Christian standard in the NASB 2020, um, both give this idea, if you stop listening to correction or stop listening to discipline. Um, I'm not sure why ESV chose instruction, though that would accomplish that would be with a discipline with kind of a chastising something small. And so I do think there is in one sense to stop listening to the discipline of your, of your mother and your father kind of referring back to verse 26, you stray from the words of knowledge. You move away from, kind of truth you move or not truth. You move away from kind of biblical knowledge and an understanding. And I think even in Gill's application to cease to hear in one sense, the chastisement that the spirit may come upon you and to, to reject the teaching and then to chase after the theologies that don't chastise you, that accept you as you are. Um, you stray from the biblical wisdom, bi the biblical truth, and the knowledge to come there. So I do think there is, in one sense, having that idea of correction and playing through, but even maybe closely aligned to ceasing to hear the discipline of a father and a mother you will stray from the words of knowledge, which then leads to kind of verse 26, pushing away your family and bringing a broad shame and reproach. Yeah. Yeah. I can see the application as well of, of when you reject truth, when you, you don't receive that correction, you don't receive that discipline. You don't receive that, that instruction that you're susceptible to the false teachers and the worldly wisdom and the things then that, you know, cause great harm and, and destruction in your life. If you stay on that path, because again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of life is the beginning of wisdom. He is life. Right. Did you want so, to say something? Yeah. One of the commentaries I'm looking at trying to help through this, the last sentence on this verse says, even Solomon an ancient Israel paragon of wisdom, who wrote the Proverbs straight when he ceased to listen to his own Proverbs. Mm. And I think that very much clears out when we think about Solomon, that he strayed from the, the instruction given by his father. We assume David, a man after God's own heart was one that is blameless, though not all of it, obviously with his sin with Bathsheba, but to raise his children up. But Solomon uh, ceased 
to listen to his father's instructions and strayed from biblical wisdom and knowledge and into false heirs with all of his wives. And so I think you do see that um, even kind of in the adult world that we need to remember our correction from our children or from our parents, even when we are adults, lest we stray. Yeah. All right. So hopefully that helped uh, the listeners as well as, as us here kind of looking through these things and, and working them out. All right. So verse 28 here, a worthless witness mocks at justice and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. So a worthless witness mocking at justice, he doesn't care about the repercussions of, you know, what the court may bring down a civil magistrate or parents discipline or whatever it may be. They're not concerned with it. They're, they're a false witness. They're, they're, they're a lying and a deceiver. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not concerned with that. Uh, they're a worthless witness. They mock at justice, and the, mouth of, and, the, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. They run to it. They drink it down like water. They eat it up mm-hmm. like, like bread. They just desire it, and they run and devour uh, sin, right? Yeah, I mean— just think of what worthless witnesses do to, I mean, just think of Jesus and then bringing in the witnesses they want to hear so they can bring him, put him to death. Um, it mocks justice. It scorns it. And, and in one sense also mocks the one who is justice, who displays justice and all that he does. God, God is the just judge of all the earth. And worthless witnesses is an affront to him. It's mocking him. It's saying it's um, it's late, and I just lost my train of thought. Anyways, they're mocking. Not only are they mocking justice, um, they're mocking the one who is justice. Yeah, the one who's just. Condemnation, verse twenty nine, is ready for scoffers and a beating for the backs of fools. Ultimately, the scoffer who does not heed the wisdom, who does not take advice, who does not find life in Christ because they have no fear in God, they will receive eternal condemnation, eternal torment, the wrath of God poured out upon them. They will, as it says, the beating of the backs of fools. They will receive the wrath of God for all eternity. Yeah. And I mean, do we think about just to <clears throat> to think about the the words of Paul that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. That in our lowly estate of original sin, we are scoffers and fools towards God. But God being rich in mercy, who shows his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, made a way in which those who believe in the promises of Christ 
in the gospel message of his death, burial, and resurrection, their need for a savior, they now have no condemnation against them. They are, in one sense, they have life and they have life abundantly in the Lord. And they can live in this world without feeling condemned to be free to do what God has called us to do as humans, to love him and to work his ground and to be obedient to his word. This is Ecclesiastes, chief in a man. There is to, to honor God and to think about what it means that even that scoffers today may not receive their punishment, but God knows all. He does not forget. And all will be judged. So are you going to be one who receives the condemnation, the judgment for your sins? Or will you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and have no condemnation against you and be clothed with the righteousness of Christ and have life abundantly, not only here in this life, but oh so much more in the life to come. And that's been G220 Radio for tonight. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, email us at g220radio at gmail.com. It's g220radio at gmail.com. And we will see you next week.